Chapter Five of *The Wanderer* or *Female Difficulties*. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. *The Wanderer* or *Female Difficulties* by Fanny Burney. Chapter Five. Upon the entrance of the travellers into London, the curiosity of Mrs. Ireton was more than ever inflamed, to find that the journey, with all its delays, was at an end before she had been able to gratify that insatiable passion in a single point. Yet every observation that she could make tended to redouble its keenness. Neither ill-humour nor haughtiness, now the patches and bandages were removed, could prevent her from perceiving that the stranger was young and beautiful nor from remarking that her air and manner were strikingly distinguished from the common class. One method, however, still remained for diving into this mystery. It was clear that the young woman was in want, whatever else might be doubtful. Mrs. Ireton, therefore, resolved to allow no recompense for her attendance, but in consideration of what she would communicate of her history. At a large house in Grosvenor Square they stopped. Mrs. Ireton turned exultingly to the stranger, but her glance met no gratification. The young woman, instead of admiring the house and counting the number of steps that led to the vestibule, or of windows that commanded a view of the square, only cast her eyes upward, as if penetrated with thankfulness that her journey was ended. Surprised that stupidity should be thus joined with cunning, Mrs. Ireton now intently watched the impression which, when her servants appeared, would be made by their rich liveries. The stranger, however, without regarding them, followed their mistress into the hall, which that lady was passing through in stately silence, meaning to confound the proud vagrant more completely by dismissing her from the best drawing-room, when the words, "'Permit me, madam, to wish you good morning,' made her look round. She then saw that her late attendant, without waiting for any answer, was tranquilly preparing to be gone. Amazed and provoked, she deigned to call after her, and desired that she would come the next day to be paid. "'I am more than paid already, madam,' the incognita replied, "'if my little services may be accepted as cancelling my obligation for the journey.' She had no difficulty now to leave the house without further interruption, so astonished was Mrs. Ireton at what she thought the effrontery of a speech that seemed, in some measure, to level her with this adventurer, though in her own despite she was struck with the air of calm dignity with which it was uttered. The wanderer obtained a direction to the house of Mrs. Maple from a servant, and demanded another to Titchfield Street. To the latter she rapidly bent her steps, but there arrived her haste ended in disappointment and perplexity. She discovered the apartment in which, with her husband and child, the lady whom she sought had resided, but it was no longer inhabited, and she could not trace whether her friend had set off for Brighthelmstone, or had only changed her lodging. After a melancholy and fruitless search, she repaired, though with feet and a mind far less eager, to Upper Brook Street, where she soon read the name of Mrs. Maple upon the door of one of the capital houses. She inquired for Miss Jodrell, and begged that young lady might be told that a person who came over in the same boat with her from France requested the honour of admission. To this message she presently heard the voice of Eleanor from the landing-place answer, "'Oh, she's come at last!' "'Bring her up, Tomlinson, bring her up!' "'Yes, ma'am, but I'll promise you she is none of the person you have been expecting.' "'How can you tell that, Tomlinson? What sort of figure is she?' "'As pretty as can be.' "'As pretty as can be, is she? Go and ask her name.' 
The man obeyed. The stranger, disconcerted, answered, My name will not be known to Miss Jondrell, but if she will have the goodness to receive, I am sure she will recollect me. Eleanor, who was listening, knew her voice, and calling Tomlinson upstairs, and heartily laughing, said, You are the greatest fool in the whole world, Tomlinson. It is she. Bid her come to me directly. Tomlinson did as he was ordered, but grinned with no small satisfaction, at sight of the surprise with which when they reached the landing-place his young mistress looked at the stranger. "'Why, Tomlinson!' she cried. "'Who have you brought me hither?' Tomlinson smirked, and the incognita could not herself refrain from smiling, but with a countenance so little calculated to excite distrust, that Eleanor, crying, "'Follow me!' led the way into her dressing-room. The young woman then, with an air that strongly supplicated for indulgence, said, "'I am truly shocked at the strange appearance which I must make, but as I come now to throw myself upon your protection, I will briefly, though I can enter into no detail, state to you how I am circumstanced.' "'Oh, charming, charming!' cried Eleanor, clapping her hands. "'You are going at last to relate your adventures. Nay, no drawing back. I won't be disappointed.' If you don't tell me everything that you ever did in your life, and everything that you ever said, and everything that you ever thought, I shall, I shall renounce you. Alas, answered the incognita, I am in so forlorn a situation that I must not wonder if you conclude me to be some outcast of society, abandoned by my friends from meriting their desertion, a poor, destitute wanderer in search of any species of subsistence. Don't be cast down, however, cried Eleanor, for I will help you on your way and yet you have exactly spoken Aunt Mabel's opinion of you. And I have no right, I acknowledge, to repine, at least none for resentment. Yet, believe me, madam, such is not the case. And if, as you have given me leave to hope, you will have the benevolence to permit me to travel in your party, or in whatever way you pleased, to Brighthelmstone, I may there meet with a friend, under whose protection I may acquire courage to give a more intelligible account of myself. A rap at the street-door made Eleanor ring the bell and ordered that when Mr. Harley came he should be shown immediately upstairs. Harley, presently appearing, looked round the apartment with striking eagerness, yet evident disappointment, and slightly bowing to the scarcely noticed yet marked curtsy of the stranger, said, "'Tomlinson told me that our fellow-traveller was at last arrived.' Eleanor, taking the young woman apart, whispered a hasty injunction that she would not discover herself. Then, addressing Harley, "'I believe,' she said, you dream of nothing but that dismal incognita. However, do not fancy you have all the mysterious charmers to yourself. I have one of my own now, and not such a dingy, dowdy heroine as yours. Harley turned with quickness to the stranger, but she looked down, and her complexion and bloom and changed apparel made a momentary suspicion die away. Eleanor demanded what news he had gathered of their strayed voyage. None, he answered, and uneasily added that he feared she had either lost herself or been misled or betrayed some other way. "'Oh, pray don't waste your anxiety,' cried Eleanor. "'She's in perfect safety, I make no doubt.' "'I should be sorry,' he gravely replied, "'to think you in equal danger.' "'Should you?' cried she, in a softer tone. "'Should you, Harley, be sorry if any evil befell me?' "'But why,' he asked, "'has Tomlinson given me this misinformation?' "'And why, Mr. Harley, because Tomlinson told you that a stranger was here, should you conclude it could be no other than your black fugitive?' Again Harley turned to the traveller, and fixed his eyes upon her face. 
the patch, the bandage, the large cap, had hitherto completely hidden its general form, and the beautiful outline he now saw, with so entire a contrast of complexion to what he remembered, again checked, or rather dissolved, his rising surmises. Eleanor begged him to be seated, and to quiet his perturbed spirit. He took a chair, but in passing by the young woman, her sex, her beauty, her modest air gave him a sensation that repelled his using it, and he leaned upon its back, looking expressively at Eleanor. But Eleanor either marked not the hint, or mocked it. "'So you have really,' she said, "'taken the pains to go to that eternal inn again, to inquire after this maimed and defaced Dulcinea? What in the world can have inspired you with such an interest for this wandering Creole? Tis not her face does love create, for there are no graces revel.' The bell of Mrs. Maple now ringing, Eleanor made a sign to the incognita not to avow herself, and flew downstairs to caution Tomlinson to silence. The chair which Harley had rejected for himself he then offered to the fair unknown. She declined it, but in a voice that made him start, and wished to hear her speak again. His offer then became a request, and she thanked him in a tone that vibrated certainty upon his ears, that it could be no other than the voice of his fellow-voyager. He now looked at her with an earnest gaze that seemed nearly to draw his eyes from their sockets. The embarrassment that he occasioned her brought him to his recollection, and apologizing for his behavior, he added, "'A person, a lady, who accompanied us not long since from abroad, had a voice so exactly resembling yours that I find it rather impossible than difficult not to believe that I hear the same. Permit me to ask, have you any very near relation returned lately from France?' She blushed, but without replying. "'I fancy,' he cried, "'I must have encountered two sisters. Yet you have some reason, I own, to be angry at such a supposition, such a comparison.' He paused, and a smile which she could not repress forced her to speak. "'By no means,' she cried, "'I know well how good you have been to the person to whom you allude, and I beg you will allow me, in her name, to return you the most grateful acknowledgments.' Harley, now yet more curiously examining her, said, "'It would not have been easy to have forborne taking an interest in her fate. She was in evident distress, yet never suffered herself to forget that she had escaped from some yet greater. Her mind seemed fraught with strength and native dignity. There was something singular, indescribable in her manner of supporting the most harassing circumstances. It was impossible not to admire her.' The blush of the stranger now grew deeper, but she remained silent, till Eleanor, re-entering, cried, "'Well, Harley, what say you to my new demoiselle? And where would you have looked for your heart if such had seemed your Dulcinea?' "'I should, perhaps, have been but the safer,' answered he, laughing. "'Pooh! You would not make me believe anything so out of nature as that, when you were in such a tindery fit as to be kindled by that dowdy. You could have resisted being blown into flames at once by a creature such as this.' Man is a perverse animal, Eleanor. That which he regards as pointed for his destruction frequently proves harmless. We are all, boys and libertines alone excepted, upon our guard against beauty, for, as every sense is up in arms to second its assault, our pride takes the alarm and rises to oppose it. Our real danger is where we see no risk. You enchant me, Harley. I am never so delighted as when I hear beauty set at naught, for I always suspect, Harley, that you do not think me handsome. "'If I think you better than handsome, Eleanor.' Oh, "'You know there is no such better in nature, at least not in nature as forms taste in the mind of man, which I certainly do not consider as the purest of its works, though you all hold it yourselves to be the noblest. 
Nevertheless, imagination is all-powerful. If therefore you have taken the twist to believe in such sublimity, you may perhaps be seriously persuaded that your heart would have been more stubborn to this dainty new wanderer than to your own walnut-skinned gypsy. Walnut-skinned? Even so, noble knight-errand, even so, this person whom you now behold, and whom, if we believe our eyes, never met them till within this half-hour, if we give credit to our ears, scrambled over with us in that crazy boat from France. Harley was here summoned to Miss Maple, and Eleanor returned to her interrogatories. But the stranger only reverted to her hopes, that she might still depend upon the promised conveyance to Brighthelmstone. "'Tell me, at least, what it was you flung into the sea.' "'Ah, madam, that would tell everything.' "'You are a most provoking little devil,' cried Eleanor impatiently, "'and I'm half tempted to have nothing more to say to you. "'Give me, however, some account how you manage matters with that sweet tender dove Mrs. Ireton. The recital that ensued of the disasters, difficulties, and choler of that lady proved so entertaining to Eleanor that she soon not only renewed her engagement of taking her unknown guest free to lose, but joined the warmest assurances of protection. "'Not that we must attempt,' she cried, "'to get rid of the spite of Aunt Maple, for if we do alter so completely the basis of her composition that she won't know how to stand upright.' "'But now,' she continued, "'where are you to dine? "'Aunt Maple is too fusty to let you sit at our table.' The stranger earnestly solicited permission to eat alone. Eleanor consented, assigned her a chamber, and gave orders to Mrs. Golding, her own maid, to take care of the traveller. The repast below stairs was no sooner finished than Eleanor flew back to summon the incognita to descend for exhibition. "'I have told them all,' she said, "'that you are arrived, though I have revealed nothing of your metamorphosis.' and there is a sister of mine, a conceited little thing, who is just engaged to be married, and who is wild to see you, and it is a rule, you know, to deny nothing to a bride-elect. Probably, poor wretch, because everyone knows what a fair way she is in to be soon denied everything. That quiz, Harley, would not stay, and that nothingly Ireton has nearly shrugged his shoulders out of joint at the very idea of so great a bore as seeing you again. Come, nevertheless, I die to enjoy Aunt Mabel's astonishment at your new fizz." The stranger sought to evade this request as a pleasantry, but finding that it was insisted upon seriously, protested that she had neither courage nor spirits for being produced as an object of sport. Eleanor now again felt a strong temptation to draw back from her promise, but while between anger and generosity she hung suspended, a message arrived from Mrs. Maple to order that the woman from France should be sent to the kitchen. Eleanor, changing the object of her displeasure, now warmly repeated her resolution to support the stranger, and hastening to the dining-parlour declared to her aunt, and to the party, that the woman from France should not be treated with indignity, that she was evidently a person who had been too well brought up to be consigned to domestics, and that she herself admired and would abet her spirit in refusing to be stared at like a wild beast. End of chapter 5